And welcome everyone to a new edition of Novak Now here in the Nachum Siegel Network. It has been a long time with all the Chagim, especially the, the holidays that ended up on Mondays. So we're finally back with a, a new program here on Novak Now. I hope everyone had a wonderful Rosh Hashanah, a meaningful Yom Kippur, a joyous Sukkot and Simchat Torah, Shemini Sarah. throw everything in there. Hey, even a Hoshana Rabbah. Everyone have a great, <laughs> everyone have, I hope had a great long series of these holidays. You know, my father always says that the Jewish holiday calendar is kind of like a badly baked raisin challah in that all the raisins are on one side and the other side and there's nothing in the middle. Um, so we've had a lot of raisins in these first few bites of the challah so far this year and that's the way it goes. Um, but uh, it's, uh, it certainly was nice. We had nice weather for the most part uh, on the right days. I think it rained a lot in the northeast on Yom Kippur, as I recall. So that's a good day for it to rain when you're inside fasting anyway. But uh, I hope everyone had a good and meaningful holiday season. Um, there has been so much news since we last did a, a program here on Novak now. Um, but so I'm not going to try to go through everything. Uh, as I always say at the beginning of my programs, if you want to follow uh, my takes on and other people who I think are really, really important and, and knowledgeable, their takes on the big news of the day as it happens, please follow my Twitter feed at JakeJakeNY. It's two Jakes, at JakeJakeNY. And uh, I will be quick to follow you back, by the way, if, if, you're, if you're the kind of person who worries about that kind of thing. I think sometimes we all do a little bit. Um, and you'll be able to see it in real time. And if you're not a Twitter person, I also have a Facebook page. I don't update that as often, although I do that a few times a day. But Twitter can sometimes be an hourly thing, depending on how news, are go- is new- news is going. And I'll remind you again at the end of the program where you can do that. Um, and you can also find my twice-weekly, sometimes three-times-weekly columns for CNBC.com if you just do Jake Novak CNBC on Google. If you type Jake, Jake Novak CNBC on Google, that'll send you to the page with all the editorials I've been writing. Uh, I am back doing that for CNBC on a contributor basis. And um, some of the stuff I talk about here, you'll see in those columns. You'll see, or you'll, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg thing. Sometimes you'll see an idea that happens and sprouts a little bit more on Novak now here in the Nuckham Studio Network on the co- in the columns and, then some t- and vice versa. So um, that's really... Uh, a quick introduction to how you can follow stuff even during holiday seasons when a lot of the shows get preempted and then it turns out the middle of the week is, is, a, regular, is a regular day and not a holiday, those kinds of things. Um, well, I- instead of trying to go through all the big news that's been happening, let's go through what's the biggest news of the last 48 hours, which of course is the U.S. finding and killing of the ISIS founder and leader um, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Uh, and all the stories that have come out and all the issues that need to be discussed surrounding this story. Um, the, the basic facts are, are really not in dispute for the most part. The, the United States, uh, through who knows how many intelligence uh, tips and services, where it was able to find out where Baghdadi was. He had been the number one most wanted terrorist in the world, especially by the, from the United States point of view for a very long time. And they did find him and they killed him uh, Saturday uh, evening, I guess uh, Sunday morning, uh, that would be Sunday morning uh, for the time over in the, the area of Syria where they found him. So that's, that's the biggest development there. And there are some interesting stories that have come out since uh, this has happened. Um, 
a lot of people have shown their cars as being much more interested in being angry at their fellow Americans, and in particular Donald Trump, than looking at the bigger picture of the elimination of an important terrorist. A lot of people have forgotten what ISIS is, functionally is, compared to other terrorist organizations. There are a lot of people who have decided to point out that ISIS, from an international power structure, is not as powerful, anywhere near as powerful as Hezbollah or Al-Qaeda. Or, and that's understandable from the point of view of their years in operation and things like that. But for just depraved activity and the kinds of things that ISIS did, I think that they were quite, unfortunately, quite prominent. Uh, we know about the burning alive of, of prisoners. We know about all the beheadings. We know about the forced conversions. We know about the brutal way that they just operated willy-nilly sometimes. Uh, in a way that even Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah, who are sometimes more interested in a political, creating political structure than ISIS was. But more importantly, remember that ISIS is still recruiting people very much online. This is a, this is a, a terrorist organization that tries to reach out to individual lone wolf-type terrorists all over the world via the Internet and via social media on the Internet. And that is why people who are crying or complaining about the way President Trump described the way al-Baghdadi died are so wrong. <laughs> it's very good that President Trump talked in detail about the cowardly way that Baghdadi died, the way that he ran away screaming, the way that he grabbed three young children to be a human shield for him. It's very good that he did that. It's, it's not disrespectful to, to human life or, or anything else like that. It's important to do that. It's important that the president now routinely calls terrorists losers. Because, again, this is, these are groups that are still recruiting people online, and the message needs to get, that, get out that the wide world believes that people who join these terrorist groups are not frightening murderers or killers. Because, you know, remember, for an aggressive male, especially an aggressive male-type person, to get the label killer or murderer is not exactly a bad thing. That sounds cool to a lot of them. I know that's very per, you know, perverse to a lot of us to think. Thank goodness, I'm sure 99.99% of the people out there in the world think that that's disgusting to think that way and to be proud of being called a killer. But think about gang members, even in an urban situation here in the United States. I mean, you know, they, they, there's a certain pride in being called a killer. So calling them losers instead of murderers and killers uh, in, in our regular way of referring to them is a good idea. I remember in the 1980s when there was a, a number of different, those, those afternoon talk shows, which kind of morphed into... <laughs> Sadly, kind of what we have even on regular news programs now. But the afternoon talk shows that you would have that were a little bit lower brow at the time. Uh, the Jerry Springer type shows, which, of course, that blossomed in the 90s. But that started with, like, Geraldo Rivera's old program. If you remember his old talk show, which was kind of a free-for-all of freaks and, and strange people. He, he would often have shows featuring white supremacist KKK-type leaders. And... He made a point, point. I think that those shows gave those guys much too much of a platform. And now, of course, CNN and MSNBC and all these major news organizations are giving these people a real platform, making them sound like they have more followers than they really have and all that kind of thing. But one of the good things, one of the good things that came out of that is that you would have callers or people in the audience who would look at these white supremacists and KKK members and say, like, look, to me, you look like an uneducated kind of loser, you know, the reason why we, I think you join, you would hear this in the audience all the time, sometimes it would be a caller, and I, and I would love this. They would say, like, look, I, I'm not trying to, to make you angry, but, you know, they would look at these white supremacists and say, you look like a loser. You don't look very educated. You don't look like you could get a really good, high-paying job. Maybe you're joining these hate groups because that's the only group that'll have you. 
or you're not willing to do the work to, to be a member of a society who makes money and, and has some success, or at least has a happy family life. You know, money isn't exactly what makes a person happy or important, but, you know, to have a family, to, to, you need to earn something. I mean, it, it, these are the kinds of comments you would hear. So I, I like that President Trump is starting to routinely call terrorists losers, and we should follow his example. It's a good idea. These people are losers. Are they frightening murderers, too? Well, yeah, a lot of them are. I'm not saying that they're not. But remember, when you give them that public label, that's something a lot of them are proud of. Probably all of them are proud of. They love that label. So don't give that to them. Don't give them the perverted cachet or coolness factor. Call them losers, because they are losers in a lot of ways. And they should not be given that street cred or whatever kind of term you want to use as being like a stone-cold killer, whatever, whatever kind of adjective that makes them sound dangerous. Even though I, I, I understand, yes, they are dangerous. I'm not saying they're not dangerous people, but that's the kind of reputation they want to have. We should focus on their other, uh, the other truth about their reputation, which is they're losers. They're losers. So w- we should say that. Um, another tremendous controversy that deserves to be controversial was the original Washington Post article about the death of al-Baghdadi, which put in the headline something along the lines of that it was he was an austere Islamic scholar, who became, or a conservative scholar who became a leader of this group. I mean, it was an outrageous headline. If you want to go on my Twitter feed at JakeJakeNY, you'll find a lot of comments about that. Then there was a joke thread, a, a, a humorous thread that, that decided to make fun of the Washington Post, uh, pretending to write headlines for other famous murderers uh, and, and how, they, how they would be depicted. You know, Ted Bundy, uh, you know, a, a prolific dater of women, dies uh, in, 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 a, in a California prison, that kind of thing. There were a lot of joke headlines there to ridicule the Washington Post. They later changed the headline. But two things you should know about it. One is they refer to him as an Islamic scholar. Now, this is something that has been bothering me since I was a little kid in the days of Ayatollah Khomeini. My father once used to say as a joke uh, that Ayatollah Khomeini, like, we don't like him, we don't agree with the things he says, but boy, did he, he looks like a real, as if he, if, if there was a, if there's a comparison, if there's a, a, a parallel to a Tamil Chacham in the world of Islam, he, he, Ayatollah Khomeini looked like he was a real Chacham in the, world, in the world of the Quran. And I thought about that for a while, for many years. And then I realized, you know, that's kind of a good joke. But, you know, we don't have any evidence of that, do we? What does it mean? How do we know someone is a true scholar of the Quran or Sharia law or things like that? I assume some universities give out PhDs in this, and we could possibly surmised, despite the corrupt nature of a lot of America's and, and the world's universities, that if someone has a PhD in Quranic literature or Sharia law, that they're at least pretty well versed in it. Although, if we judge them by the way that some people get PhDs in Jewish studies, then we probably shouldn't trust that either. There are a lot of people out there who have PhDs in Jewish studies who can't read Hebrew, don't understand Hebrew. I mean, I don't know how you can get a PhD uh, in Jewish studies if you don't even know how to open up a, a Siddur or open up a page of Talmud and, and even kind of know what's what. Um, but that, that's, the, that's a different discussion. But, so I did some research on this, and it turns out that al-Baghdadi, before he became the murdering terrorist that he was, loser that he, that he was, uh, he was a teacher of Quranic recitation in what you would consider to be the Islamic version of a cheder, or Hebrew school. He was kind of the guy who taught the kids how to read a little something. Now, I'm not saying that people who teach at that level can't be scholars on a higher level. But honestly, is your average cheder teacher, your average Hebrew school teacher, can you describe them as a Jewish scholar, as a real scholar of the Torah and the Talmud? No. And I don't think that that's an insult to people like that. I'm just, the point is that that's not the way it goes. And if you're 
not familiar with some of these terms, if you happen to be a Christian, think about a, a youth minister, a youth minister in your church. Now, some of these youth ministers could be brilliant, and they might actually be quite well-versed in the, the New Testament and things like that. But just being a youth minister, I think we can all agree, just certainly is not any indication of being a scholar of Christianity. Uh, my point is there's absolutely no evidence that al-Baghdadi or even Ayatollah Khomeini or Ayatollah Khamenei, who is now the, the leader of Iran now, there's no evidence at all that they're actually Islamic scholars. What there's plenty of evidence is that they have plenty of political and violent military rhetoric. And my suspicion, based on the fact that there's no evidence of their scholarship, is that they're popular because of their firebrand speeches, the way that they rile people up. They're activists. They are demagogues. They are ideologues. That is why they're, they're so popular. Not because someone can give them a test and say, hey, uh, tell, speak, tell, tell me the Koran by heart. Listen, one or two of these terrorist leader losers might actually be pretty well-versed in the Koran, but there's no evidence of that, folks. Was Osama bin Laden really a great scholar of Islam? We have no evidence of that whatsoever. Now, that doesn't mean that being a scholar of any particular religion makes you necessarily a good person. Remember, there's, as we say in Hebrew, there's midot and there's, you know, there's midot. I mean, you have to also be someone who does good things. I happen to think that it leads you on that path, but the point is, there's no way of doing this. And, you know, the same people, folks, the same people, kind of people like at the Washington Post and people in, 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 in government for many, many years and the politically correct uh, you know, folks out there, cops out there, for years they've been telling us that Islam is a religion of peace and it does not teach terrorism and all that kind of stuff. The same people who say that are saying that al-Baghdadi was an Islamic scholar. So which is it, folks? If, if an Islamic scholar is a violent terrorist, murderer, rapist, then how can you say Islam is a religion of peace. Then he's not a scholar of Islam. He's a scholar of some kind of bastardized version of some religion somewhere. I don't know what it is. They want to have it both ways. But of course, what, what's the motivation behind a loving, I mean, it really felt loving, a loving or at least sympathetic type headline like that. And, and by the way, in the actual story, no mention of the mass beheadings, no mess, message of the genocide of the Yazidis, no message of the forced conversions and the burning of the people alive. What's the, what's the motivation for the Washington Post to put out an article like that and a headline like that? And yes, by the way, they've changed the headline, but it, it was out there for a couple hours before they bothered to change it. And they apologized for it by saying, all the, with, with an apology on Twitter with, I guess, a, you know, an official at the Washington Post saying, oh, we should never have done this headline. But, no, but, no apology, but that wasn't really an apology, and it certainly wasn't an explanation for how this happened. I mean, this was, almost pro, this was really like pro-ISIS propaganda referring to al-Baghdadi as an austere Islamic scholar, this is exactly the kind of image that, that ISIS wants to send out to the world. You know, when they do these recruiting-type uh, efforts online, they want to show, like, you know, this world that you're living in, this westernized world that you're living in with all the perversions and all the pornography and all the other things that you see online, don't you want someone who has a real religious belief and is a righteous man, and then they show, then they show pictures of al-Baghdadi. And so the Washington Post is really, whether they were doing it on purpose or not, I don't know, was parroting ISIS, ISIS propaganda about their leader. It was disgusting. Why did they do it? And, you know, there's two reasons for it. One is, let's, be ob- let's, let's, let's do the, on, uh, the obvious one first. Anything that Donald Trump says or does, there is a strong propensity in the mainstream news media to throw cold water on it. So if he says two plus two is four, there's going to be a strong, strong influence going, strong, strong uh, push at the Washington Post to, to at least think about doing a headline that says two plus two equals five. So if Donald Trump comes out on, on national television like he did and celebrates the death of a loser like al-Baghdadi, 
there is a strong push at, at places like the Washington Post and the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC and all those places to do an editorial or a, a column or an article or get a guest on who will say the very opposite, no matter who we're talking about, no matter whom we're talking about, which is really perverse. Look, I mean, even if Donald Trump is wrong 90% of the time, you got to give him credit the 10% time that he's right. I think he's got a better percentage than that. But for those who don't, don't get yourself to the point where you hate the man so much that you throw out all reality and all decency. And that's exactly, by the way, which has happened in this. That's exactly what's happened in this country. You know, I say this all the time. Donald Trump is an extremely lucky man because the people who have made themselves his primary enemies in this country are even worse than he is on his worst day. They've decided to trash the Constitution. They've decided to trash all decency. They post pictures of themselves with his severed head. They do all kinds of things that are worse than anything that he does on his worst day. Yeah, he insults uh, somebody personally and calls them a loser. I mean, I'm talking about the terrorists here. He'll, talk, he'll call Nancy Pelosi Nervous Nancy, or he'll come up with a, with a nasty nickname for somebody. I'm not, I'm not defending that. I'm not saying that's a great thing. But look what his opponents do. And I'm not talking about anonymous people online. I'm talking about elected members of, of Congress. I'm talking about celebrities who have reputations to protect. They go even lower than he does routinely. So he's a very lucky man in that sense. So that's, that's, a, that's the number one push. That's the number one reason why they would do a story like that about al-Baghdadi. But the other reason is, to me, in some ways even more annoying, because someday Donald Trump won't be president anymore, whether that's in five and a half years or in a year and a half, whatever it is. That's going to happen one day. But what I think endures is something that goes on among educated people, and by educated, I mean they have a degree from, from liberal arts universities, where there is a real propensity to pretend that you're an iconoclast, to pretend that you're above the fray, that you're, that you're better than most people. So if most people are happy about a, a, a bad guy being killed, there is a strong desire among some people to pretend that they are of a high moral standard and to d- pretend that they are actually better than that. And say, no, no, let, let's talk about the good parts about this, and, and maybe we shouldn't be happy that someone is dead. And I get that to some degree. I think there is some goodness in that line of thinking, but I don't think that people are trying to be good, because if they're trying to be good when they write a fawning or more sympathetic portrayal of an al-Baghdadi type, I don't think it's all about asking for more kindness. I think it's about what we call virtue signaling, which is a fancy way of saying, people who like to go online and say they're better than you. You see a lot of this on Facebook. You see a lot of this on Twitter. And you see a lot of it in the editorial columns of newspapers where people pretend to be, try to, be, be, try to say that they're better than they really are and think that that's really what they're looking to do. So these are the two big motivations, I think, behind what happened with this al-Baghdadi obituary, whatever column, whatever you want to talk about, however you want to call it in the Washington Post. But it was really obscene and really, really embarrassing. And you would almost think that someone working for Donald Trump secretly published it just to embarrass the Washington Post because that's how bad it was. Really. I mean, it was just so terrible. Um, I want to talk about another thing that happened from a, a, another outgrowth real quickly about ha- from the al-Baghdadi thing because and, and, I think it, you know, it happened on the same day. On the, so on the same day that this happened, President Trump and, and Melania and a few other people, Melania Trump and a few other people go to the World Series Game 5 Sunday night the Nationals and um, the Astros. And as Donald Trump, they show his picture on the Jumbotron screen, the crowd starts booing and they start doing this lock him up chant and all the news organizations have a little chuckle about this and they report it as like a serious story and they're really enjoying the fact that President Trump is being excoriated in this way. 
because they like to they, they pretend that, well, these are just baseball fans. These are normal Americans, and they're cheering. Oh, look, listen, folks. This was a World Series Game 5 where standing room-only tickets were $800, where the worst seat in the house was at least $1,000. In a place in America, Washington, D.C., where six counties that surround Washington, D.C. are six of the top ten richest counties in the country. This is not the average Joe booing Donald Trump. These are rich, 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 elite and connected people booing Donald Trump. And we know that the elites hate him. And in some ways, these people booing Donald Trump is a good thing. But the funny thing was is that people were trying to depict this as man on the street, normal guy, normal gal at a baseball game, uh, the, the great unwashed Americans booing Donald Trump. And that's not who that was. Not unless the great unwashed, not unless the average American has a thousand bucks they can throw away on the last row seat at a, at a World Series game. Okay, that's not who we had at the game last night. Not to say anything necessarily bad about that crowd. I'm sure there were a lot of wonderful people there rooting for both teams. But the fact is, people booing at a highly expensive, highly exclusive event uh, proves nothing about what the average American thinks about Donald Trump. Just remember that. That's important. Uh, and here, you know, here we are again. This program, I've become guilty of it myself. We've spent most of this time here on this edition of Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network talking about people. We've talked about al-Baghdadi. We've talked about Donald Trump. We've talked about the way people respond, respond to him. And I, I was wondering if maybe some of you listening might want to participate in a little experiment that, I, that I've been conducting. I've been riding mass transit for years here in New York City, mostly the Long Island Road, but also the subway. And I find that's the place where I run into the most random conversations. I overhear a conversation. You can't help it. Either it's on the cell phone or people are talking to each other. I don't mind that, by the way. Uh, unless I'm in one of those so-called quiet cars and people are sleeping, I, I think it's fine for people to talk to each other. I'm not one of those kinds of folks. I don't, we, we certainly don't like people yelling on their phones. Or The new thing I'm seeing now is that people are listening to recorded shows or things on their phones without headphones. And it's, they're playing really, really loud. And then someone from six rows over comes over to ask that person to turn it down. And very often the response is, oh, you can't hear it. And there's been times when it's really been hard for me not to stand up and say, if they can't hear it, why are they coming from six rows away to ask you to turn it down? I mean, it's just, it's incredible. Use headphones, folks. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the moral of that part of the story. But I was wondering if you would want to participate in a little bit of, a, of an experiment, which is listen to the conversations you hear people in, uh, engaging in in the course of a day, not, not with you, but in your surrounding areas, whether you're on mass transit, whether you're walking on the street, whether you just happen to be in an area where people are sitting down and talking. Maybe you're sitting in a movie theater before the movie starts and people are talking. And take note of how many people are talking about ideas or even events in the news or even a sports game, just events, uh, ideas, policies, things like that, as opposed to those people who are talking about other people, uh, gossiping about somebody that they know, complaining about someone that they know, uh, usually not anyone famous, just, just, just talking about other people. And what you'll see, honestly, nine times out of ten, sadly, is the latter. People talking about other people, people gossiping about other people. I know, this, uh, you've heard me say this a lot of times here on the, on the Nachum Siegel Network here on Novak Now. I am not a rabbi, and I'm not trying to play one on the radio. But, so I know this sounds like a little bit of a, of a Musser speech, for those of you who know what that is, kind of like a morality uh, 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 speech. But it's not. I'm, I'm, I'm making a point about how people talk in our society, and most people in our society talk about other people all the time. They don't talk about policy. They don't talk about ideas. They don't talk about events. One of the things I've really tried to tell my daughters is when you're talking with people, especially in public, but anywhere, 
don't talk so much about other people. And it's not only just because we don't want people to gossip or we don't want, you know, Lashon Hara, whatever you want to call it. It's not just because of that, although that's important. I get that. But it's because people who talk about other people and gossip about other people and complain about other people and people, 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 this person said this to me and then she said that and then he did this and then he, I mean, this, this, by the way, this is, these, I, I've just summarized about 90% of the conversations you're going to hear in public. He said this, she said that, and then he did this. It's, it really makes you stupid. It makes you stupid. You need to talk about ideas. You need to talk about policies. You need to talk about events, you know, whether it's in the news or something. Things that actually are happening, things, ideas. That, was what, that is what will challenge you intellectually as a person. And that was what will make our society better, as opposed to just talking about people. Now, this truth about us, the fact that we do mostly talk about others, certainly is part of our politics. It's a huge part of our politics. And you've heard me say this before here on the Novak Now program, and I'll say it again. For those of you who think you vote for a particular party or a person because of the policies and the ideas and not because of your initial emotional reaction to the personalities and the people who are running, you're wrong. An overwhelming majority amount of, the, of human beings, we, we, decide, we vote on people based on how, on how we react to the person, not necessarily their policies. And that is overwhelmingly evident in the way that we talk about our politics now. People vote the way they vote because they either, in the last few elections, either because of the the personal reaction they have to Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, and they they sort of average it out or prorate it. They may not like Donald Trump, let's say, on a scale of 1 to 10, they may not like him number 8, but they don't like Hillary Clinton 10, so they voted for Donald Trump, or vice versa, things like that. I'm not saying they have to like or love a particular candidate to vote for him. They just have to like or love or hate him less than than the person that they're, vote, that they're not voting for. So this is so much an outgrowth of that. Um, I've heard from people from the White House, a very, there was one person from the White House who was one of the top econ- economists at the White House who told me about a year ago, you know, you never hear anybody talking about policy anymore. Where are the editorial writers other than you, Jake, who write about policy or trends in society? And I said, they're not around because we've become this gossipy type society even when it comes to our politics. And I think we kind of always were, but it's getting worse and worse. It's getting worse and worse. You very rarely hear about policy. And when policy is discussed, it's only discussed in the terms of Trump, Trump, Trump. I mean, the, the policies that the Democrats running for president are pushing, for the most part, aren't being talked about. And, and when they are, it's always in sort of contrast to what to something Trump says. Or the policies are discussed in a way that makes very li- there's very little deeper digging into the issue. For example, the Medicare for All or all the welfare for all programs that you hear about from the Democrats. You hear no, you hear no real criticism of them from the, from the left-wing news media, which is most of the news media. And the right-wing news media makes a mistake, and, and conservatives make the mistake of only talking about, oh, well, we can't pay for these Medicare for All programs, and they sort of close the book on them. I've recently written a column, which you can find on, on my CNBC page, about how the, the most important question we're not asking about all these welfare all programs is what about the poor? When you give welfare and benefits to everyone, whether they're rich, poor, middle class, or whatever, you exclude the poor who are supposed to be the beneficiaries of these programs. If everyone has Medicare and everyone's lining up at the doctor for their cheaper medical care, the poor people who really can't afford medical care are going to have to wait longer and, find, and, and work even harder to find doctors to see them. Don't you get it? The same thing with, there's a finite amount of money to give away to people. Let's give it to the truly poor. 
I have a, obviously a longer argument about that that you can read. But the point is, this is the kind of discussion we should be having, not about whether Warren said it or Trump said it and isn't she a jerk and isn't he a jerk. This is where it, it's just like people talking on the subway and gossiping about a friend or an enemy. Who knows what they're doing? And that is really about 90% of American politics right now, and it's a shame. Folks, again, you can follow me on my Twitter page, at JakeJakeNY. Check out my columns. If you just write on Google, Jake Novak, CNBC, you'll find all the columns. And I hope to speak to you again on the Nochem Siegel Network in about a week. Thank you.